The society that we grow up in frames our reality. So not only structurally, but culturally, linguistically, etc. And if we don't uh, look at participants within those frameworks, then we can lose a lot of the nuances um, and there can be a lot of misunderstandings. This is Aaron May. I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward. Silence. Silences. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Awkward Silences. I am here with Leah Atkinson, a senior market researcher at Shopify. Um, And today we are continuing our conversation on international and cross-cultural user research, something that Leah has a lot of experience uh, working with. So let's jump right into it. Leah, tell us a little bit about what kinds of research uh, you are busy doing at Shopify. Okay, uh, so I do a lot of projects for different teams, um, mainly for our international and retail teams. My background is in anthropology, so I've had the opportunity to do uh, field research in countries in Asia and Europe, on uh, mainly entrepreneurs. Uh, My team also teams up with research consultancies and agencies uh, when we need specialized skill sets and support. So, for example, if we don't have deep knowledge on a specific market or expertise in a complex research method, sometimes I do that as well. And ultimately, my work helps the product and marketing teams to make uh, strategic decisions. Fantastic. How much of your background in anthropology do you think is like applicable to this cross-cultural research? Is it like 100%? Do you just use stuff from that background all the time? Or um, have you had to learn a lot of new skills as well? I use it a lot, actually. Um, Even working with people from around the world, uh, because we have offices in different countries, that's helped me a lot. Uh, And I've also found it very beneficial when trying to understand uh, entrepreneurs in other countries and always taking a step back from not putting my own beliefs onto the culture or society that I'm looking at. So I found that really useful. I have had to develop a lot of new skills around things like business acumen, um, mm-hmm. but I think anybody in any uh, industry would have to do that. So that's some, not something that I learned in school, of course, but, but yeah. Mm-hmm. What's different about when you're specifically focused on international or cross-cultural research than maybe something a little closer to home? Sure. So I think something that's really different with international research is the logistical complexities. So it requires a lot larger budget and we may need things like visas for travel. We also need to consider, um, not necessarily being familiar with the currency, local customs, the time zones or the language uh, that you would be if you were working within your own country. Uh, Because of this, I think it's really useful to team up with somebody in your company that's from the region that you're traveling Mm -hmm. to, or Mm -hmm. also to work with a local agency um, that has a deeper understanding of the market than you have yourself. Uh, For me, the thing that is always similar is... As um, for Shopify, we're always trying to understand entrepreneurs and business owners' needs, their motivations, and challenges. So that doesn't change regardless of what country I'm doing Mm -hmm. work in. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And why, you know, you, as you just, it sounds like a hassle, right? You got all these logistics <laughs> and budget. Why bother? Why you just, uh, isn't it good enough to just talk to the people right in front of you? Yeah. Uh, the, the society that we grow up in frames our reality. So mm-hmm. not only uh, structurally, but culturally, linguistically, etc. And if we don't uh, look at countries within or look at participants within those frameworks, then we can lose a lot of the nuances mm-hmm. um, and there can be a lot of misunderstandings. So I think that doing international research uh, really helps to create empathy, um, mm-hmm. both within the company. So if the company hasn't had any exposure to uh, Japan before, then they might not understand things. But mm-hmm. through doing research, they can better understand those things. And it can also uh, really make a huge impact on the product and marketing road mapping. If we can understand local nuances, we can avoid a lot of the mistakes that we would make if we didn't do that research Hmm. and we can make less risky decisions. You talked about how, right, it's important um, in sort of anthropology to not bring your own, you know, assumptions and experience, right. To, to kind of empty, empty the cup and, and see what's going on. How do you do that? How do you, um, right? Like, how do you even know what your assumptions and biases are, particularly when going to such a different, potentially, you know, um, exotic uh, place? Yeah, and I, I think that's something that's really hard to do. So you have to constantly check in on yourself and your emotions. Mm-hmm. I know um, when I started going to Japan, even before Shopify. Uh, sometimes I would feel really like overwhelmed um, and or really upset about something. And I didn't necessarily know why. So when I took some time to reflect on that, I realized that I was dealing with uh, cultural differences. So for example, being on the subway and having everybody be completely quiet mm. and not knowing why or not knowing how to act in that situation. Um, I feel like just being really in tune with your emotions and also having time, like boxing off time for yourself to be in a room with familiar things, like whether that's uh, your social media or TV shows that you like, it can really help mm. to, um, to reframe your, your, your mindset. I find too that the, uh, the acronym, the weird acronym, the Western educated, industrialized, rich and democratic thing. I'm not sure if you guys have heard that before, but um, it's nice because it also kind of yeah. like frames it as, you know, I assume most of our listeners are weird, uh, right? And our, we are ourselves, of, <laughs> you know, that our culture, like your baseline is maybe the one that is not the standard and, and it kind of helps flip that. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's a nice acronym in terms of it pulls in the right letters as well. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I really right. like that as a mental model too. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you, before going on research projects, it's always good to think about um, how people might perceive you as well as how you might perceive people. So being aware of who you are and what that brings to the table. So you talked about, you know, going somewhere, um, you know, I'm on a train, I'm in Japan. Do you, when you're trying to learn about other cultures, do you always travel? Do you sometimes try to, you know, do it remote or how do you make those calls? Yeah, so sometimes it's not possible to, like, international tra- international research doesn't always involve travel, um, sometimes for logistical region- reasons or budget restraints. Mm-hmm. 
or because uh, you want to work with people in multiple countries at once and it's impossible to be in multiple countries. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that sense, it makes sense to do things remotely um, and either with your own uh, users or customers or with people, prospective customers. So one thing that I've done is uh, sometimes partnering with an agency because the agency has more understanding and uh, and connections to that local market. Because when you're when you're doing field research, you get a lot more of that uh, context that you wouldn't necessarily get if you're only doing things remotely. If that makes sense. So I find that really helpful. And also, again, uh, pairing up with somebody who has that local market context. Do you have any uh, tips or tricks? Like when you're actually on location, um, obviously the face-to-face -face conversations you're going to have with people are going to be, you know, really rich and useful, but are there other things you do like, you know, on your way to and from the hotel or just walking around to try to absorb or, or gain more context about the culture or, or things like that? Yeah. Uh, well, before going to a place, I find it's really useful to read up on etiquette uh, <laughs> to make sure that you don't do anything. Thing that's against the social normative so that's always helpful um, and one thing that always sticks out to me is in one of like one of my first year courses in university uh, the professor brought up the idea that you notice the most in a country in the first two weeks that you've been there so if so if it's your first two weeks in this region like you're going to notice a lot of things that you wouldn't notice after mm. being there for a longer amount of time. Mm -hmm. So I think taking a lot of notes and taking a lot of photos of things that you think are interesting um, really helps. Uh, since I'm doing work on businesses like B2B research, mainly with Shopify, I do things like go to post offices and go to the mall and go to different things that business owners would have to go to in their day-to-day -to, -day right. to get a more of a feel of things. All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research, and we want to help you with that. We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free. We all know we should be talking to users more, so we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out. And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. Awesome. And when you, we talked about it before, but obviously the, you know, the budget just having to be higher, right. In terms of time and cost and everything else, uh, to travel and be in a different country and, uh, you know, see a different culture firsthand. But I imagine there's different degrees of that. Like if you are flying first class and staying at the best hotels, you know, that's going to increase that budget even further. Um, have you found any ways or techniques to help try to keep costs down or reasonable even when you are, you know, going on location and, and being more immersed? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I look into staying at like Airbnb or something like that. Um, which can be interesting because that way you can experience more about uh, how people in that area live, which is a pretty cool benefit. Whereas if you're at a hotel, you might have the same experience anywhere in the world, more or less. So that tends to be cheaper um, and good. Uh, the other, another good thing is taking public transit rather than relying on taxis. 
because uh, you can usually get like day passes, for example. So that's really helpful. Um, eating at like buying stuff at convenience stores. I also do my own grocery shopping when I'm traveling. Uh, and I find that saves a lot on budget as well, rather than eating out at restaurants all the time. You're probably learning a lot while doing that too, just being out, out among the people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you can learn so much, so much from do, making your daily routine kind of like the daily routine of the people in that area. Yeah. yeah that's a cool overlap that it actually helps, you know, helps you on the budget front, but also helps you on the context and education piece as well. It's like a nice twofer. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So how do you find your subjects, these people to talk to in, you know, countries with presumably lots of people you could talk to? Do you, um, you know, use different services in different places or how do you get started, especially with a, with a new culture, you might not have a lot of contacts. Yeah. So if it's our own customers, it's a lot easier because Mm. we can just, um, find, find them within, like find them internally, uh, for doing research externally uh, with prospective customers, sometimes we've teamed up with agencies. Uh, agencies can, like we have to give them a very specific list of what we're looking for mm-hmm. and they can help us to recruit um, non-Shopify participants. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that you can do is snowball sampling, which is a little bit more scrappy, I guess. So reaching out, like posting things on Facebook, or something like that, saying that there's going to be a research study happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it can be a little bit more risky and a little bit more scrappy. One other thing that I rely on a lot actually is um, like getting recommendations from other people. So I'll have a number of interviews set up. And then when I'm actually on the field, if I don't have enough uh, participants or the amount that I'd like, I ask the people that I'm interviewing mm. if they have any recommendations for people that would also be interested in the study. And I find that pretty useful. Where does the, you mentioned the term snowballing, where does that uh, phrase come from? Yeah. So that comes from like sociology, anthropology. That's, that comes from my background. So uh, the idea is like a snowball gets, the more you roll a snowball, the bigger it gets. Right. So if you uh, ask your participants for recommendations, then they'll give you, Um, more people and then those people will in turn give you more people and then eventually you'll get a lot of participants it's something that's used a lot in uh, in anthropology Um, in in my master's research for example I was researching a subculture in Tokyo and since subcultures are more difficult to track uh, that was a really good way for me to be able to find participants cool yeah the phrase sort of like made sense to me intuitively when you said it but I hadn't actually heard it before so uh, that's cool (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So international research, um, what are your favorite methods? Because I know you're doing a lot of kind of broad discovery, you know, early on understanding a market kind of research that a lot of people are using to make big decisions. What sorts of methods are you using and how do you decide, you know, what to use for a particular uh, project or location? Yeah, so I tend to interview all of my stakeholders and ask them what, what exactly are they looking for and try to uh, get something out of that. And then once I understand what they're looking for and as well as like um, what our company's plans are, and then on, on top of that, I also need to look into what we've already done. 
So look into uh, internal research as well as secondary sources to see uh, what has already been done around that subject and whether it makes sense for me to do uh, original research or for me to um, to do my own research or sorry. Yeah. No, 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 I love that. I, I, that uh, tip can't be shared enough. I think, you know, like what do we already yeah. know? It's always the right place to start. And so, so once you know what, you know, let's say we don't know enough, right. Then what? Yeah. So then I, then once I know, okay, so we want to know more about X country and we're interested in, uh, this this type of um, demographic or whatever, then I can think about whether it makes sense to approach it from a quantitative or a qualitative perspective, um, and whether it's more uh, like discovery research, as you mentioned, or uh, I guess like validation or trying to make some trying to see whether a phenomenon is uh, scalable or not. So. My go-to is usually field research because that's my background. And um, and I find that really useful because you can be in the context of your participants using uh, your product um, at the time that they're using it and you can see where they run into challenges and, and subtle differences and that sort of thing. I find uh, surveys and quantitative methods also really useful uh, for understanding information at scale. So... The pattern that I usually do is qualitative research first to uh, to find that new information, and then quantitative research afterwards to scale that information to see whether the pat- patterns and insights that I found in qual hold up oh, to the wider population. Cool. Mm. A, a logistics uh, question, I guess we realized we didn't touch on too much is. How do you uh, handle the incentive piece? Do you just kind of do your best to look at you know exchange rates and uh, local income levels and stuff like that and set something that seems fair? Or do you lean on other resources to help inform that? Yeah, so if if I'm pairing up with an agency, the mm-hmm. agency will decide the, the incentive that's appropriate. Um, I always make sure to provide the incentive in the the currency that the participant is using. So rather than like giving them 100 USD, it makes more sense to give them 100 euro, for example. Uh, I also like to give them a couple options. So uh, PayPal or like gift cards or something like that to see what makes the most sense for them. Um, and, they, and those things would also have to be uh, culturally appropriate and make sense for them. Like some people might, some countries, they might not use bank transfer, whereas others might prefer that, for example. So tell us some stories, if you can, uh, from your experience in the field working at Shopify. Um, any interesting moments or funny or heartwarming or particularly enlightening excursions? Yeah, there's quite a lot. I'm not sure um, how much I can talk about, but I think one one thing that's been really valuable for me other than like the most valuable thing is uh, is meeting the business owners and seeing how uh, the work that we do actually makes their lives better. Like one thing that has been really valuable for me, for example, is I, I interviewed a merchant uh, in Asia about a year and a half ago, and I was able to see that merchant again a few months ago, and I was able to say, "Hey, look, we have we've actually done." 
a lot of the things that you were having difficulties with. So that, that, that I think is really valuable to me, but that's not necessarily yeah, that's a great feeling. It's just research in general. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's the best feeling. It makes the work that you do feel valuable. Um, but one of the other valuable things has been working directly with uh, the teams, the product and marketing teams afterwards to uh, take those insights and actually use them for developing our direction in, uh, in countries on both marketing and product development. And like thinking about, okay, so these are the difficulties that entrepreneurs are having in this country. How can we make it better for them? It's pretty cool. Have there ever been like just on very like innocuous things um, where like, you know, early on, maybe you're just kind of building some rapport or getting context from a participant and just been like really surprised or blown away by, um, you know, some, some observation or something that was different. I, I, I guess that's maybe a tough one, but um, have, have there ever been like the little things that have really like opened your eyes and like, oh man, I'm so glad we're here. That was like, that alone has already made it worth it. In France, uh, I found that people are still using checks, for example. And uh, in Germany, people use invoices. In Japan, people use bank transfers and cash on delivery. So there's all these different payment methods that uh, in Canada, we, we, don't, we don't think about, we don't use at all. But uh, when meeting with entrepreneurs in these countries, that was something that they really used in their day to day. And they need they needed to have uh, checks available, for hmm. example, in order to uh, communicate with their customers. So, when, yeah. When you're doing this field research, are you um, like watching people kind of go about their day and how, you know, Shopify fits into that and like, oh, they just used the check. That's interesting. Or, you know, you have more structured questions like what, how do you manage your payments? Yeah, so I come with a, I usually come with a semi-structured interview guide. Um, so that gives them that gives me the leeway to be able to delve into certain topics more than others, for example. So if there's something that's really interesting, I can really go deep into that. Uh, the thing about interviewing business owners, and especially in the retail locations, sometimes I've gone to retail locations, other times I've gone to offices, which are a completely different uh, like setting. When you're in the retail locations, customers just are coming in and out. So the interviews have to be... I guess, very unstructured because halfway through the interview, a customer will come and the, and the merchant will have to uh, ring through the customer or something else will happen like that. So my time tends to be uh, structured because business owners are very busy people and I don't want to impact their business uh, negatively, but it's pretty cool to see them interacting with customers real time. Is there a, um, when you do travel, do you have a sweet spot of like the amount of time you like to spend in a, in a given area? Yeah, so I've experimented with different things. Uh, sometimes I've done like three cities in two weeks. Uh, the last project I did, I did two cities in two weeks. I think that's like two cities in two weeks is probably better. Three cities is pushing it a little bit. Um, it's hard because uh, you're kind of at the will of your participants' um, availability. So sometimes you like I've ended up with like five interviews in one day and having to travel to all those different interviews in one day. And that's really exhausting. So I think it's important that you uh, limit the amount of um, interviews or 
sessions that you have in a, in a day and in a region. Otherwise, you'll just burn yourself out because it's really tiring traveling plus doing research on top of that. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd.